This episode of Armchair Explorer is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. With seven drive modes, the Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. And epic journeys is what we're all about. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Armchair Explorer on location. Travel and adventure stories recorded in the field in the most immersive way possible, designed to give you a glimpse of what it feels like to be there for real. Are you ready? Let's go. Portland, Oregon, one of the coolest cities in America. No doubt, absolutely love it, been there a few times. Its unofficial slogan is Keep Portland Weird. The hit show Portlandia, which is hilarious, if you haven't seen it, it parodies the city, calls it the place where young people go to retire. I love that. It's creative, it's wacky in all the right ways. The Keep Portland mascot, by the way, is a guy called the Uni Piper who rides a unicycle down the street in a Darth Vader mask, playing the bagpipes, and the bagpipes are on fire. Yeah, it's that kind of place. And that's where we're gonna start today. And then we're gonna take a road trip south to Eugene via the Willamette Valley, home of some of the greatest Pinot Noir in the world. If you like your wine, this is one of the best places to go wine tasting. No pinky up posh drinking here though. This is all proper, independent, mom and pop type vineyards. We had a lot of fun. We got attacked by a baby goat. Well, attack with cuteness anyway. And then we're going to finish up at Harmonic Laboratories, which is a collective of sound artists. And their work really blew my mind. It's fascinating how they approach it. It's awesome. It's, uh, I think you're going to love it. And the whole thing was just a great trip. It inspired me to keep it weird in all the best ways. And I hope it's going to inspire you too. Armchair Explorer podcast is the Instagram. Let me know what you think and what you want to hear next. If you like travel and adventure, come and hang out. We're going to get on well. Quick disclaimer before we get going. Our documentary episodes take a lot of time and money to produce, so we partner with destinations to make it happen. They help with the funding, but the storytelling is all ours. So thank you to the lovely folks at Travel Oregon for making this one happen. I hope you love it. Let's get on with the show. From wild coasts and volcanic peaks to lush vineyards and streets bursting with creativity, join me on the hidden trails of Oregon. We're going behind the travel veil to those secret places only locals know. In Oregon, the extraordinary is ordinary and the adventure is about to begin. This week 
week we are following the Northern Culture Trail from Portland to Eugene. We're going to discover mouth-watering food carts, laugh-out-loud bar crawls, baby lambs, art markets, and experimenters in sound. But most of all, we're going to discover the weird, because that is what Oregonian culture is all about. And that's a good thing. Being weird here is something to celebrate, and we're going to find out why. And we'll start in the capital of weird itself, one of America's coolest, greatest, greenest cities. It could only be Portland, Oregon. Portland is like nowhere else on earth. It's creative, it's crazy in all the right ways and it inspires you with this feeling of independence and positivity and hope. And we are also at the start of our adventure here. We're at the start of our road trip around Oregon and we're at the start of the Northern Culture Trail. And it's gonna take us from here all the way down through the Willamette Valley and the Pinot Noir vines down there. Oh my God, do I love Oregon's Pinot Noir. I can't wait to get there. And we are going further south to Eugene. And we're gonna start with our bellies because it is time to soak up some of Portland's world-famous food cart scene. Let's go to Cartopia. I mean, it's... Hey, hey, hey. Are you Aaron? Yeah, yeah. Nice, nice to meet you, Michelle. How's nice it going? Come on in. How are you guys doing? Starving. Yeah. I've been okay. purposely starving myself Good. all day for this. A lot of food. So. This is Michelle Berge, one of the founders of Lost Plate Food Tours. Lived in Oregon my whole life, for the most part in Portland, and I love food. I think it's the best way to see the city, experience the culture through food. So I like to get out of downtown, out of touristy Portland, eat where the locals eat. Quite literally, I live like four blocks up the street, so we're going to like the places I go to for dinner, lunch, all the time. And also, a cool thing about this neighborhood is it's an up-and-coming arts district. So we'll do a little art walk. We're going to go to three places total, a mixture of food cart pods and a food hall. We meet Michelle in the central east side district across the Willamette River from downtown. It's a former industrial area. It's filled with old warehouses and factories, but it's evolved into foodie heaven. And in Portland, that means food carts. This uh, place is really historic, Cartopia Food Cart Pod. So there's eight food carts here. It's all different types of food, all different owners. And we are eating at the food cart right behind me, Potato Champion. Next to that, another local favorite, Chicken and Guns. Wood-fired chicken. Guns are what they call their potatoes. We have Tahir Square right here, uh, Egyptian food, which is really good. One of my personal favorites, straight ahead, El Bracero. Mexican food, huge burritos. You pay $8 and get a burrito the size of your head. It's amazing. The awesome thing about food carts is you have people from all over the world who have come to Portland, made it their home, and they're dishing out dishes from their home countries, from their family cookbooks. So maybe some familiar favorites for you guys, maybe some dishes you've never heard of or had before, but all delicious, all amazing. And really fresh, local, made-to-order food. And I think our first dish is up. So hang tight for a minute. I'm going to go grab it, bring it out to us, uh, and let you know what we're having. I'll be right back. All right, Michelle. Oh, my gosh. 
So our first stop around the world today is Canada. We're having poutine. So we have local fries, Oregon, Idaho, potatoes, hand cut. They hand cut them every day. They soak them and then when they're ready to fry, they twice fry them, Belgian style. So that's why they're a little darker, a little more crispy. Uh, you have their house-made veggie gravy. You have their house-made meat gravy that they make every single day. And then local cheddar cheese curds on top. They're coming from a local creamery about a half hour away from here. Fresh local food made fresh to order. I'm gonna take my first bite here. I got good lopping of gravy there and some, some of that cheddar cheese curds. Oh man, it's so good with the gravy, isn't it? Like I never wanna have fries without gravy and cheese on ever again. It's like naked fries versus like well-dressed and ready for dinner fries. Always high praises for this poutine. They've even, someone said it was bougie poutine. A bougie in Canada, you get it. It's greasy, sloppy, pub food. This is like fresh local ingredients, local cheese curds, house-made gravy. It's bougie poutine. I love that. And why do you think, you know, so many places in the world, this would be like a Taco Bell. Why did this food cart phenomenon start in Portland and just kind of blow up like it did? Honestly, food cart started in like the early 1900s. As far back as I've researched, there was horse-drawn wagon selling coffee and tea downtown to like the workers that worked there. Closet Endeavors was the name of the cart. And that I call that like the OG food cart. Portlanders love to support small businesses, eat local. It's rare that you'll find like a chain restaurant within the city. You kind of got to go to the suburbs for that. At food carts, you're not getting crappy street food. You're getting really good, high quality, restaurant quality food. A lot of times for like the fraction of the price of a whole, you know, full-blown restaurant. There are more than 500 food carts in the city and they are as creative in their names as they are with their recipes. Lebanese are Scrooge, fried egg I'm in love. And that's the thing about Portland. By supporting local, they are supporting entrepreneurship and creativity. Fast food chains get chased out of town. And in their place, chefs of all kinds are allowed a chance to bloom. Especially at one of the city's coolest new pods. And that's where we're headed next. So. This is the Hawthorne Asylum, or as locals call it, just the asylum. Kind of a weird name. Any guesses? Uh, is it because the food's insanely good? <laughs> You're so close. Actually, it's because in the 19th century, this was an asylum. But the new pod that's taken its place is like a kind of steampunk Epcot center for foodies, filled inside with fairy lights, fire pits, art installations, and food from all over the world. It's cool, you're kind of spinning around, you're going from Thai to Korean to Lebanese to Philly cheesesteaks to gyros to French food to waffle sandwiches of all things. You can literally eat around the world. Our first stop here is Lebanon, specifically Beirut. Got some Beirut street food. This is simply called fried cauliflower or crispy cauliflower. So fresh cauliflower, flash fried to give it such a good texture, like a meaty texture, cabbage, carrots, tomatoes, onions, pickles. That's all drenched in a house-made cumin dressing. And then everything is drizzled with house-made tahini. So a fusion of flavors that is just insane. Can I just like have you wherever I eat before I start eating, <laughs> describing what it is? 
It's delicious. It's so crispy. If this was served on like a really nice white plate and put on some kind of white linen with a little bit of foo-foo around it, you'd think this was like fine dining, wouldn't you? Yeah. yeah. And that's the awesome thing about food carts that I said earlier is you're getting high quality, restaurant quality food made to order local. We go crazy. Asian fusion tacos, poke bowls, sangria. Yes, booze carts are a thing too. And then something special. Andrei Georgiev is a first-generation Ukrainian immigrant who moved here with his family as a kid looking for a better life. And they found it here, where supporting local also means supporting diversity. The carts is called Pelmeni Pelmeni. They make one thing, they make it extremely well, and Andrei's invited us in for a look behind the scenes. Hey man, thanks for letting us in here. Aaron, appreciate it. I feel like we're getting a privileged little sneak peek. Yeah. Oh man, it smells good in here. So it's like so, a, is it like a dumpling or it looks like a kind of knocky thing? Yeah, or something yeah, yeah. Like it's, it's a dumpling. They're called pilmeni in Russian Ukrainian. They're sort of like the go to food in Eastern Europe. So I'm gonna do the toppings on this one right here. So we do sour cream, green onion, dill just like that. Then we drizzle some of our uh, house-made tomato sauce. It adds like a little uh, zestiness to the meal. So I'm gonna get this out the window here. Sarah, got your order over here. Thank you very much. Would you much. like any of the hot sauces? No, you're good? Let's do it this way. Thank cool. you. Cool, enjoy. One of the great things about Portland is the diversity, right? You really reflect it in the food scene, which is so cool, isn't it? It definitely is. And like being an immigrant myself, you know, came here in uh, with my family in 1996. Now being an immigrant, you don't have much. We came with literally like two suitcases, two big suitcases, right? So just like working really hard, staying together as a family, helping one another. And because U.S. is a land of opportunity, there's really like you can do so much if you put in the effort. There's no limits on you know the possibilities and, and growth. You can just get a trailer and do it yourself, or you can buy one. It doesn't take too much money. And I think because of that, you have a lot of minority groups that just are like, hey, we love cooking, we love to serve people, and we're gonna give it a try. And so you have like this, just like huge food cart scene in Portland. It's really cool. We're here. If you had to choose one dish of yours that like exemplifies the city, what, what would it be? Or what would you put in it if you had to create a dish that was pure Portland? Uh, pure Portland? Uh, let's see. So I'll, I'll definitely do like the sweet uh, vareniki with savory toppings. And it's going to really have that really like sweet and savory taste to it. That's Portland, isn't it? Like two things that you wouldn't think go together, but then you put them together and they're amazing. Yeah, it works. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much for letting us take a peek inside. Appreciate yeah, absolutely, it, yeah. guys. I really appreciate you coming in. Embracing weird in Portland means embracing everyone from everywhere because that's what makes this city great. You see it in the art scene, you taste it in the food scene, and you can feel it in the spark that true diversity brings. You know, what's been great about this tour with you, Michelle, is that these are foods I wouldn't try, right? Like, this is something that I would probably wouldn't order, but I would definitely order again, going out and really experimenting and trying new stuff. And I don't know if there's many places that you could go within a five minute radius and pretty much probably get anything that you want or could possibly conceive of too. It's really fun. That's 
what I love to hear. Like that is like the biggest compliment you could ever give me. Portland is just a fusion of food. Anything you want, you can get. Anything unique, you can get. Or new to you, we don't have just one specialized dish. We have food from all over the world. But that really shows off the local flavor and the local culture. In the neighborhoods where the locals live, that left of center diverse culture is thriving. Funky vintage boutiques, small independent galleries, the tiniest public park in the world where I'm told a band of leprechauns live. They were hiding when I was here. And all of it is infused with the spirit of green living. Portland is home to nearly 400 miles of bike paths, urban farms, and entire eco-districts. But they're not just green, they're green with style. Because sustainability at its heart is about more than recycling and organic food. It's about growing a vibrant, independent culture that fosters self-expression in all its forms. It's about celebrating your inner weird. And that's exactly what we're about to do. So we are well fed, my belly is bursting. We have eaten our way around Portland, but you know what? I think I need something to wash it down with now. And I know just the man to take me there. We are going on a very special bar crawl. In fact, it's so secret, I can't even tell you the names of where we're going to. I'm under a non-disclosure contract, but I'm gonna tease it. And if you work very hard, you're gonna be able to find the places too. So let's go and find out some of these local secrets, the hidden places, the places that you have to be in the to go to. Let's go. Hey, how's it going? Good, how are you? Good, I'm Aaron. I'm Aaron. How are you? Yeah. Oh, that'll be Jason. easy. Jason, nice to meet you. Awesome. Sorry for the microphone and stuff. You've been warned. Yeah. 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 Well, I will tell you that for your Cinderella evening, you chose the right ball. Yeah. <laughs> this is Dresden, a true Portland local and the owner of Throw Snakes Tours. We're throwing snakes means doing something memorable and unexpected. So, it's very different from YOLO. YOLO is about getting trashed and making mistakes. And instead, what we'll be doing is gaining perspective about the city, growing together as friends, and all the while, we'll be mildly inebriated. <laughs> That's <laughs> my kind of story. Yes. This episode of Armchair Explorer is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. And Pathfinder, that's a pretty cool name, isn't it? Because that's also what this show is all about. Exploring, getting off trail, having adventures, finding your own path and living life to the fullest. Sound like you? Yep, sounds like me too. Which is why I'm so excited to partner with Nissan. The 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has seven drive modes, available intelligent 4x4. It's got the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds. So go ahead and bring all that gear with you and lots more. The 2024 Nissan Pathfinder, a vehicle built for adventures everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. 
Dresden is the personification of Portland. Hipster style, incredibly welcoming, and a ton of fun. Now I've promised him I won't reveal the exact location of these local favorite bars, but I can tell you, one's an old pub with disco lights in the restroom, one's in a food cart pod just a short walk away, and one, well, apparently all you need to do is ask where the house party never ended. It doesn't take long for things to get very Portland. So, where we are now, uh, this district is called the Hawthorne District. And so a district is essentially like a neighborhood's downtown. Yeah. Replete with food carts, bars, cafes, and vintage stores. Wherever you are in the city, your district will have all four of these major ingredients. The southeast is generally like the bohemian region. The northeast gets a lot more artistic. So Alberta Arts District, if you're super into art, especially like publicly accessible murals, it's mural after mural after mural. And so it really does feel like a small town. And I think that describing Portland as a massive small town is appropriate. And then add to that how I legitimately feel like Portland is the new humanity. And what I mean by that is there's inclusivity, sustainability, supporting local, and embracing your weird. And these are all features that are missing from a lot of major cities. And here it's way more about following your own call to adventure, whatever that may be. And I think Portlandia as a TV series really highlighted that about the city. Are, are y'all familiar with Portlandia? Ah, uh, Portlandia, where young people go to retire. That's the actual tagline of this hilarious TV send-up of the Rose City. But although it's satire, it's also kind of true because there are things that happen here that are straight out of a comic sketch, like Catterday. And so Catterday is where dozens of people show up to their park with their cat on a leash. Yeah, and the, the owners are having a ball, but the cats hate it. They want nothing to do with it. And the Mermaid Festival. is one of our local performers. She gutted a food cart pod and made one of the walls a plexiglass screen, filled it with water so that it was like a life-size fish tank, put on fins and swims around in it and is known as Una the Mermaid. And then she decided to create a festival where people could celebrate mermaidhood. And best of all is the Unipiper. We have this uh, group, this nonprofit group called Weird Portland United. And their whole mission statement is to unite alternatively superpowered heroes of Portland and together battle the forces of normal. <laughs> and so it's spearheaded by this dude called the Unipiper. And he's the mascot of weird for our city. So why he's a mascot of weird is because he rides around on a unicycle while wearing a Darth Vader mask and all the while playing bagpipes, which by the way, shoot fire. What's weird about that? <laughs> Going back to Darth Vader real quickly, yeah. do you think you could describe Portland within a Star Wars analogy? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Portland is the rebel base of the Star Wars universe. We're sticking it to the Empire. Yeah. in the 100% Portlandia. And with that, we were ready to hit the road. We're heading 
walking an hour south to the wine country of the Willamette Valley. And what's really special about this area, apart from some of the best Pinot grapes in the world, is its authenticity. Now, indigenous people have occupied this area since time immemorial. This is their home. But the first white Europeans who arrived here did so at great risk, dreaming of a better life. And that pioneer spirit is still infused into this land more than a hundred years later. Hey, how are you doing? Thank you. It's a beautiful spot. We're meeting Siobhan Ball, owner of Dirty Radish, which specializes in off-the-beaten-path vineyards that you wouldn't find on your own, such as Arlen Wines. You're fat! <laughs> We're going to keep you. You know you're with the right guide when she gets that welcome. Right, we're on the inside track here. All right. All right, I'm ready when you're on. Okay, tell us what's in our glass, m'lady. Rosé Pinot Noir. This is Janice Pate, the owner. Bro, this is, I've seen people do this, right? This is the way to kind of aerate the wine, right? Spinning it around here a little. No, it just looks cool. <laughs> Arlen is beautiful, rolling green fields cut with ripe vines in a small biodynamic farm. A puppy scratches at my feet. The Dundee Hills stretch into the distant mist and laid on a thick wooden table here in her dining room are half a dozen of Janice's most delectable wines. No, there's definitely a reason to swirl. It's sort of to aerate the wine, to bring some oxygen to it. And when you do that, all those aromatics also come up to your nose. So a lot of times people, when they take an inhale through their nose, they take too long of an inhale and all of that beautiful aromatics goes past. Also, one of your nostrils is stronger than the other. So that's why we tilt our head because it really is a difference between one side to the other. But everyone has a different, yeah, a different super nostril. Super nostril. <laughs> Are <laughs> there some people that have like two super nostrils yeah, and they're just yeah. unbeatable when it comes unbeatable to sniffers? <laughs> they are. We haven't actually even drunk any wine yet. This is, and this is already a lot of fun. <laughs> let's be professional. Okay, let's try that again. And then I do, I do bring in a little wine and aerate it through my palate because that air is kind of like salt to food. Mm. It's like opening it up and bringing it to life. Wine is a living, breathing organism, if you will. It's always alive in the bottle. And once you take that cork out, now it starts to go someplace. Starts to change, starts to be different. So, because you trained your palate, can you taste the difference as you're moving it around your mouth and as you're chewing it around your mouth into different places? Yeah, mm. absolutely. Well, it's my job. Yeah. So I, you know, take practice. I do it often. Mm. <laughs> Sounds lushy. I do it often too. I just don't don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> so, is there anything that's standing out for you in this particular Pinot Noir? Is there like one note or flavor profile that's like? Standing out. I'm getting strawberry with subtle notes of cinnamon. Wow. Way to read. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Let's go deeper than that. Cinnamon has that kind of like sharp immediate, right? But then it settles away and kind of floats away with that sweetness. And that's what I'm getting on this too. Even without looking at the tasting notes. <laughs> Totally caught. <laughs> Is there like a typical broad Pinot Noir taste that you're going for that does that kind of thing? 
So for me, with specific trying to say like broad stroke Pinot Noir, I'm looking for earthy tones. Mm -hmm. That's across the board. But from Shahala Mountain, I am looking for that zing of that cinnamon, but then that subtle sort of calming sweetness at the end. It's interesting, like just such little differences in location and just tiny differences in soil and I guess weather creates such a profound difference in the taste in the end. There's so many variables, it's, it's incredible, which is why when you're looking at what wines do I like, you have to sort of go big and then you come smaller and smaller and smaller. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I like these wines from Oregon, okay, we'll go deeper, Willamette Valley, not Applegate Valley or Rogue Valley, but specifically I like Willamette Valley, okay, Chehala Mountains or Dundee Hills. Mm-hmm. Now you go even deeper, who's the producer? The way I explain it is, do you like the club or the DJ? So the club is Shahala Mountains, the DJ is Arlen. I will follow Arlen wherever they go, right? But I also really like Ribbon Ridge. So for me, with Ribbon Ridge, it's like the club. It's always going to be good. They always have a great, it's a hit after hit. There's always going to be a great DJ there. You know? Coming from Portland, it's like we were there last night, and to here, I think it's a great analogy, you know? (laughs) It's perfect. Thank you. One thing I like about Oregon is that there are the range of tasting experiences are from, you know, highly elevated, spent millions and millions and millions on their, their tasting facility. And then, you know, here I am on the, the opposite rustic end of you're visiting a working farm. It's really nice to see all these kind of independent, smaller vineyards together. Is there a real community of you guys kind of working together? It must be, it must be nice to have that community of, of winemakers and wine lovers around. Definitely, uh, there is. I think that we're unique in that way. I feel like it's more so here, that spirit. And, and partly because of the way Oregon wine industry started, I think. There's a little bit of that, you know, they told us we couldn't, so we're going to. And it's that way with farming and the way that we farm here, too. Um, here, everything is organic, and we're really creative about how we solve problems instead of just taking the easy way out and, you know, hopping on a plane to go. Um, we take the... Um, we're willing to do the work to push that quality as far as we can and make the soil as healthy as we can. So. It's a very fertile valley. So it was touted in the early 1800s, which is why people started moving here, as the land of milk and honey. Because you have these beautiful fertile soils, you're in a valley, so you're protected on all these different sides from the coastal range and the Cascade range. So of course, when you come to this place and you see it as it is being so already fertile on its own, you kind of want to take care of that and allow the land to give to you what it can provide. Which includes at least here at Arlen, baby lambs just three days old, and I am in love. Oh, this is ridiculously cute, isn't it? And goats who bound over to us to say hi. This isn't anything to eat here. Oh, that's my hand. Oh, there's nothing there. No, thank you. <laughs> and pigs and ponies and bees. You could have just had a vineyard. Why did you decide to have animals? Because I like them. But also because it's a more a more complete ecosystem here on this farm than somebody who's just growing grapes. And so we feel like that contributes to the, the quality of the fruit and the resulting wines. 
white Europeans who came here, drawn by tales of that land of milk and honey, took huge risks. Between 1840 and 1860, more than 300,000 men, women, and children followed the Oregon Trail to reach this fertile valley. Many didn't make it. But those that did thrived, and their determination and willingness to risk it all still defines this region today. It's maybe cliched, but the pioneer spirit, in fact, still lives. This is Doug Tunnell, owner of Brickhouse Winery on Ribbon Ridge in the heart of the Chehalem Mountains. Those folks that took it upon themselves to pack up their entire belongings, put it in a wagon and come out here, had a certain grit. But they also learned on the trail, if they didn't know before, that they needed to cooperate. They needed each other. And I think we in the wine industry, we share that same feeling. You have to be a little oh. crazy to say, I'm going to pack everything up and put it in a wagon and head to the unknown. Yeah, you have to be a little kind of both, again, that pioneer spirit, but a little like, you know, you, for instance, coming here to this property and being like, you know, yes, I think I'm going to clear some things and start planting. I would be overwhelmed, to, think, to say the least, to think I'm going to take on such an undertaking, something that takes years to even come to fruition. So you have to be a little whimsical, I think, as well as pioneering to say you're going to do something so... Well, and a little ignorance helps, too. <laughs> <laughs> Doug grew up just a few miles from here. He left as a young man, became a TV journalist, traveled the world, and then came home, drawn back to this valley, just like his ancestors. Because those pioneers that came here were dreamers too. And those same values, that same spirit of independence has carried through the generations. Well, we actually considered a bumper sticker that was, keep Ribbon Ridge weird. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. I think our initial thinking about it was weird, almost wild. Keep this agglomeration of little independent growers and winemakers that each have their own story and each have their own way and their own tastes. So much of America, but in the rest of the world, it, it becomes this kind of homogenized thing where it's like we have the same stores, the same shops. You know, every place begins to feel really similar, but something about this area feels like making a stand against that, right? It, you know, which is a really cool thing. Yeah. I, I, I think just by living here, I think that's what people are doing. I mean, we appreciate the beauty of this place every day. I mean, we really do. It's dynamic. It's always changing. And, even from the hailstorms to the sunny days. Do you think some of that, that storm goes into your, your wine and your grapes too? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, we're only about 42 miles from the Pacific Ocean here, right? So we're maritime climate. Those, as well as all the other weather events, really determine what happens in the vineyard. And what determines what happens in the vineyard determines what happens to us as people who live here. Because there's really only one reason why we're here, and that is the vineyard. I mean, that's the whole reason. And so if it's healthy, we're healthy. If it's happy, we're happy. And it'll make better wine and we'll be even happier. Yeah, it's this great connection, right? Like so many places in the world, we become really disconnected from where we get our food or how we grow, you know, vegetables. But, you know, it's get this sense of being really connected. Like what happens when the weather affects the earth, affects you personally. And it's really interesting to see, especially people who are urban dwellers and are really not connected in any daily way. It's really interesting to see them in the vines and just talk with them and, and you just sort of can feel 
some of the layers of that urbanness kind of fall away and they become more childlike actually more you know original if you will and wine certainly helps and wine helps yeah. wine helps <laughs> wine helps you want to frolic yeah. through the vineyards yeah, yeah, this is great. but our time frolicking through the vineyards had come to an end next up is eugene 90 miles south where weird means pushing the boundaries of creativity and celebrating art in all its forms Eugene Market is the original artist market in Oregon. If you want to find out about creativity and inspiration and self-expression in the state, this is the place you should come. I'm walking around now and I'm seeing everything from like giant pears and necklaces to tie-dye t-shirts and porcelain octopuses. I literally just passed a porcelain octopus. And we're gonna have a look around and meet some of the makers and creators that make this place so special. One of the things that I think is unique about Eugene is that we're from everywhere. This is Anthony Jackson, and he's in charge of member services at the Eugene Saturday Market. We're from so many different areas. This is kind of a melting pot of the United States of artists. They come here and they see the, the peace and love, and they, you get that vibe, and it breeds artists. Everywhere you walk, there's something new, whether it's music, art, you know, or just people trying to make a living doing what they love, um, and it, it, it sucks you in. When markets started, they really taught the local community to support the arts. And this is Dana Bowman, who's had a stall here since 1979. We've been preaching shopping local for over 50 years, and now the world's caught up to it. That Yes, you take care of your local artists, and therefore you strengthen your local community. That's something we're seeing everywhere we go. Like, there's this phrase we heard in Portland, keep Portland weird. Yeah. What does that mean to you here? Because it feels like there's that same spirit of positivity and celebration of that. I'm really glad you mentioned Portland because we taught them how to do a Saturday market. <laughs> when the Saturday market started, it started here in Eugene. So keeping Portland weird, and what does it mean here? It's about being authentic. And so our one basic rule is the maker is the seller. You know, if you want to only shop big box stores, you're going to get the same thing in every town. And we lose a sense of place. But when you come to a place like Saturday Market and you're meeting that artist, you keep that uniqueness and it is a place making. So you can say weird, you can say authentic. It's who we are as individuals and we don't get lost in that community. So it is on the individual level about being authentic. It's also sharing our traditions. And that was written into the bylaws of Saturday Market 50 years ago that we share our customs to fight discrimination. And as far as Dana is concerned, it's also about cheesecake because her stall, which is called Dana's Cheesecake, is among the best you'll ever eat. And you can find just about anything here and all of it has a personal touch because here at the Eugene Saturday Market, there's no middleman, the maker is the seller. Uh, my name is Don Parker and I do flamework glass. I'm Katie Swenson and I actually began here when I finished high school in 1978. We do the necklaces and a lot of specimens. We got smaller pieces down here for the kids. Everything is completely hand-sewn. My name's Andrea Daly and I do a, a wide assortment of things. Um, mixed media paintings and um, hand-stitched embroidery. So I'm sitting at a bench little thing like a large welding torch in front of me. There are little bunnies here, little love bunnies, and 
bunnies on the pods and over here little trapeze rabbits hanging from a hoop. So my name is Steve Musser and we are called Rocktown City and we specialize in gems. We got crystals, agates, petrified wood. My name's Liz Bookie. Um, my shop is Daydreaming and I make felt like stuffies and dolls and things. So I'm also a photographer so I'll go out on these adventures and take a lot of photos and then come back and actually stitch my photos as embroidery. Oh, really? But most of all I just like making each piece of art unique and share what I do, my passion with them. I love it here because of the community and the access to both the mountains and the ocean. Like I'm an outdoor enthusiast so it's just a perfect little landing spot. When you support the arts, you allow creativity to flourish in new and unexpected ways. And that becomes an inspiration and a calling card to artists of all kinds. And we're about to meet a collective who are expanding the possibilities of art in a completely new way. And they're called Harmonic Laboratory. The project was really born from the idea of collaboration, which I think you'll find a lot of in this area. A lot of drive to ask questions such as what happens when you merge different media and disciplines that normally don't come together. This is John Park, the visual arts half of Harmonic Lab, and he's joined by co-founder and composer John Bologna in his home studio in Eugene. It can be confusing, confounding, and rewarding as well, and yet the kind of forced association that they're asked to do can surprise them in new ways. Harmonic Laboratory mixes technology, science, and art to create groundbreaking installations unlike anything you've seen or heard before, including this one called Carbon, which is a mashup of visual art, coding, composition, and it's controlled by social media. This is uh, essentially Twitter feeds that we've mapped characteristics of these tweets into music. So what we're seeing in this piece are six pillars of water. They're see-through acrylic tubes uh, filled mostly up to two-thirds with water. And every time a single tweet is sent anywhere in the world in real time, we're listening for certain words, certain hashtags. And if anyone, whether they're in Singapore or Portland, Oregon, or anywhere else, sends a tweet with that hashtag, we hear it, we listen to it, we see an, a bubble of air come up as well as John's created the soundscape that is interpreting the content of those tweets uh, and essentially turning it into its own music, its own note. Beautiful, beautiful, John. What was, from a sound perspective, what was your inspiration for the composition? So, taking a tweet and kind of understanding where is it located in, in the world, uh, kind of Greenwich Mean Time and then around the rest of the world, that would be location. So kind of panning to the left or the right, how long is the tweet? And you kind of think about a guitar string, the length of the string when it vibrates depicts the pitch. A shorter string will be a higher pitch and a longer string will be a lower frequency, lower pitch. And so the longer a tweet is, the lower the pitch is. And if it's just a quick short tweet, maybe just a single hashtag, then it has a high pitch that we hear. That is just mind blowing. I love that. I've never heard of anything like that before. Uh, do you want to jump over to a different piece? 
Yes, please, yeah. Just keep going. It's amazing. So in, in 2015, we felt very lucky to, to win an award or a, a grant, creative project grant, to create a touring stage-based show on the life of Nikola Tesla, the famous inventor. And so what we're hearing and seeing is a piece that speaks to all of the patents and all of the, essentially, the outcomes of Tesla's genius and thinking and generosity uh, to what we think of as all of our technology today. And what we're seeing on the screen are a collection of all of his patents flying by almost like we're inside of a, a virtual space, a, a cavern of all of his work, um, especially with this awareness that what he made back in 1900, we use every day in our pockets today. It's kind of mesmerizing. It's in black and white, but it's constantly shifting and moving. And you're seeing all these kind of geometric designs and patterns increasing in speed and kind of flowing into this infinity. So this was actually for a stage performance that we toured in three different locations. So if you imagine a transparent curtain that would be lodged between the audience and uh, eight dancers, it has this effect of the audience feeling like the dancers are somehow inside of a video, even though it's 40 feet wide. So talk to us a bit about the sound design on this. We ended up uh, acquiring two MIDI-controlled Tesla coils. And so I ended up, in doing this, got to write music to Tesla coils as part of the show. Uh, and for those who don't know what a Tesla coil, I mean, it's literally you're creating lightning through this device. So a dancer is dancing around the Tesla coil with a fluorescent bulb, and it's lighting up wirelessly because it's generating electricity through this Tesla coil. So we can basically use the Tesla coil to play like a synthesizer, a real live synthesizer. And it is loud and awesome because it literally creates ozone. So you're kind of smelling this creation of the ozone through the Tesla coil. I've never experienced something like this or knew something like this was really possible or knew that people were doing this. The other thing for us in Orion Lab is that we're also trying to imagine uh, an Oregon where artists thrive, where we uh, can be a place where we do have the arts embedded throughout every aspect so that it can be a place where you go to practice art and you go to immerse yourself in art. Well, thank you so much, guys, for letting us have this little inside peek into the Harmonic Lab. I think Tesla, Ken Kesey, and the whole spirit of Oregon creativity would be really proud of what you guys are doing. Thank you. It's a, it's a pleasure. Here in Oregon, weird is a good thing. And it's something we can all learn from. It's supporting locals, supporting diversity. No it's immigrants like Andre. It's winemakers like Janice and Doug. It's the rebel base, the Unipiper. <laughs> weird isn't a bad thing. It's the seed from which the best things grow. This 
spirit of Oregon is the spirit of self-expression, of entrepreneurship, of freedom, of creativity, and it's about possibility too. And it started in part more than 150 years ago when those early pioneers, those risk takers and dreamers crossed the country against all odds to come here for a better life. And it's still drawing people to this day. But it instilled in these people, in Oregonians, something else too, a sense of adventure. And we're gonna find out all about that coming up in the next episode. So come with me to the coast for the start of the Coastal Adventure Trail. Thanks for joining us for the first part of our road trip around Oregon. If you'd like to take these hidden trails yourself, you can find out how to do so by going to traveloregon.com. Lots of great info up there about this trip and everything else you need to know to plan your next Oregon adventure. Thank you to all the expert guides and locals featured on this show. Michelle at Lost Plate Food Tours, Dresden at Throw Snakes, Siobhan at Dirty Radish, all the folks at the Eugene Saturday Market, and the guys at Harmonic Laboratory. Remember to tune in to our next episode where the road trip continues on the coastal adventure trail, sandboarding, kayaking with whales, and lots more. It's going to be epic. So hit that subscribe button and follow us wherever you get your shows. This series was produced by Armchair Productions, the audio experts for the travel industry. Find out more at armchair-productions.com. My name's Aaron Miller. I wrote and presented the show and Jason Patton engineered and produced it. We'll see you next time on the Hidden Trails of Oregon. Thanks for listening to this Armchair Explorer on location episode. I had a ton of fun making it. I hope you had a ton of fun coming along with me. Next week, we'll be back with our usual format and then there'll be lots more on location stuff to come.